Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, it's the guy who is very mean because he exiled my graveyard. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, I stopped being friends with my mime friend. For some reason, he just won't speak to me. (laughs) Uh, I wonder if the feeling's mutual there, Matt. That's really fun. Uh, Next, the guy who stole from Matt's graveyard because it wasn't exiled. That's Dana Roach. I just put together a new deck, uh, Grand Arbiter Augustine IV. It's been my experience that if you need to keep people 8 to 10 feet away from you at your LGS, that's probably the best way to do it. (laughs) Your friends can't get you sick if you don't have friends. Uh, Dana, I just went to face palm uh, really hard right there before I remembered <laughs> that we're not supposed to be touching faces right now. Uh, uh, but that was that was very very delightful. Sorry about that. I, I did uh, touch man. my face in exasperation, so I'm I'm doomed. <laughs> anyway, this is the EDH Retcast. EDH Rec is a fantastic deck building website that collects data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all that data. A little, a little more context. Um, before we get started, uh, we do want to <laughs> address some stuff. Like, like most shows, uh, we record the show well in advance uh, to give it time to be edited. Um, in our case, we uh, record it over a week in advance because our post-production is now handled by the terrific folks over at the uh, Command Zone. They handle all of the post-production, the amazing graphics, all of the visual elements that you're seeing providing cards and the statistics on the screen as we were talking about them. It is amazing, amazing work. They've brought the show to a whole new level, and we really will never be able to stop thanking them for the amazing work that they are doing here on the show. Um, but it does just mean that we have to record all this stuff pretty far in advance, which means that uh, we, uh, we're we we're more than a little behind in talking about uh, the COVID-19 coronavirus uh, pandemic that is occurring right now. Um, so we are sad that we're late to addressing it to talking about it. Um, And really, at this point, there is nothing new that we can necessarily add to that conversation other than um, hoping that everyone is staying safe. Um, Every one of us has loved ones who are maybe immunocompromised in some way. Uh, So, you know, what we're doing right now is uh, what we hope everyone is up to doing, uh, staying safe, self-isolating, quarantining, practicing good hygiene and cleanliness habits and uh, social distancing. Although, I don't know, social distancing 
term never has felt necessarily correct. We are physically distancing, but through the magic of the interwebs, I mean, here we're doing a podcast where the three of us have met in person maybe twice total, um, and you guys have become some of my best friends. So uh, being social and being together is still very possible even when we are far away. So to that end, right now, it is our mission to try and to continue to provide uh, entertaining and informative content to help keep everyone else company uh, here during this really crazy time. So we hope that everyone is, uh, is staying safe. Oh, and I will make a note here, Joey, not only are we recording this podcast, you know, quite a ways in advance of it airing, we're technically re-recording it quite a ways <laughs> in advance true. of it airing because somebody <laughs> messed up their microphone settings. Dana. I'm not going to point any fingers at who, which of us three it may have been. It was Dana. <laughs> it was Dana. I'm trying to point to him, but I'm not sure where he's at. Um, yeah. But, but I do think we should note here... Um, there's a lot of content creators out there who survive solely uh, on the basis of money they can bring in from Patreon. Um, we don't have a Patreon, but a lot of creators do, and they will be in much greater need than we are. So if you've ever considered becoming a Patreon of somebody who makes really great content out there and you can at all afford to do so, now would be a really good time to take advantage of that. There's people that are going to be really struggling now and in the foreseeable future to make ends meet. And if they're making content you love, this would be a good time to reach out and, and help them keep making that content. Here, here. Yeah, we are here fine. We don't have a Patreon. We are going to be perfectly okay. Uh, but there are a lot of folks out there who would be uh, really great to support if you have the means to do so. So well said, Dana. Love it. Yeah. And, well, and one of the reasons that we don't have a Patreon and that we have been okay with that is uh, we do have some great sponsors. Um, Card Kingdom, TCG Player, both... Um, they do support the show, and um, one way that you can support us without doing a Patreon and help yourselves at the same time, um, just go to cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC. Go to Card Kingdom. Um, everything that's going on, especially now, with a lot of people may not be able to work or support Patreon, uh, Card Kingdom does have a great buy list. I know I've used it in some times where I had to make an emergency down payment on a car. Card Kingdom's buy list uh, helps me out with that. Uh, they have great buy list numbers. They have a very generous um, trade-in bonus if you're trying to get in on other cards. Um, and there's, their grading is very, very fair. So if you do need some emergency funds, Card Kingdom buy list from somebody who has had to use it in an emergency um, is a fantastic way to do that. And you can support the show, just cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC, uh, and you can do it that way. Uh, if you're looking to buy cards, maybe have some webcam games, you're stuck in a temporal isolation. That's a card you can also buy. Uh, <laughs> TCGplayer.com gives you a chance to buy cards as well. You know, you, uh, hundreds of sellers are all using that platform to sell. They can ship it right to your door. You don't have to go outside, stay inside, away from everything that's going on. Uh, great singles, sealed product. Maybe, you know, you are in isolation. You want to resleeve some decks, get some sleeves from TCG Player. Uh, all you can do all that at that website. So to support the show, just go to edhrec.com, click on any TCG player price link. They'll take you right there so they know we sent you. Yeah, awesome stuff. We really appreciate all of those, all the help that we are getting from other folks in the community like the Command Zone. We hope that everyone else is able to, uh, you know, stay supported in those ways too. And that we, uh, even in this time of social distancing, we're able to still uh, have the gathering part of Magic the Gathering. So with that, probably a little uh, more somber tone than usual to begin the show. Let's get right into it and get to that entertaining and informative content that we know that you are here for. So, Dana, what is our topic here on the show today? We are going to talk about the statistically least unique commanders. So kind of the in, opposite of what the last show we did was. 
Yeah, exactly. Our previous show was all about the most unique commanders, but now we want to look at the opposite and find those least unique commanders. And let's recap really quick how we have organized all that data. So rather than going through the really arduous process of uh, averaging out synergy scores and all of that um, to find those different unique cards among things, we actually just decided to go with a very simple metric to determine whether a commander is quote-unquote unique. We looked at the commander's top 100 cards and marked how many of those cards do not appear on the commander pages for other commanders of the same color combination. So, for example, if we were to say, you know, this Golgari commander has a uniqueness score of 10, that means that 10 out of its top 100 cards do not appear on the pages for any other Golgari commander. And... Two other th stipulations we do need to throw out there. Same conditions as last time. We're not counting any commanders who have less than 100 decks because that information just, it's so easy to skew. So we want to make sure that the information is as pure as possible. Um, and we're also not able to collect any data on the partner commanders. It's so hard. The algorithm was just too messed up from doing that. So we're excluding partner commanders from this, con this conversation again, like we did with the last episode. Yeah, exactly. So with that, we're going to start looking at the least unique. So I just named an example of like, ooh, if it has a uniqueness score of 10. On this particular show, I think we can expect a lot of numbers that are a lot less than 10. We are looking at the commanders that play a lot of the same staples that you see throughout other color combinations, and we're going to go right through them in Wooberg order. So let's get started. We're starting with colorless. What is our least unique colorless commander? The least unique colorless commander is Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger. That's the uh, 10 drop from... Uh, Battle for Zendikar, and when you cast it, exile two target permanents, that is indestructible, and whenever it attacks, defending player exile the top 20 cards of their library. Um, there's 173 Ulamog decks, and it has a uniqueness rating of zero. <laughs> zero! We are going to have to get used to hearing the number zero probably quite a bit here on this episode. Yeah. Um, I think especially it's especially not really surprising in colorless, just given the finite amount of colorless cards that you can run in that deck. I, I guess I didn't look to see where the other Eldrazi Titans are, but I, I would bet they're you know just coincidentally enough maybe at one or two. It's all probably pretty close. Right. Well, and on our previous episode, we saw that the most unique one was Hope of Girapur. Uh, so it is definitely quite a shift from the tiny little artifact to the great big Eldrazi Titans. But they tend to run a lot of the same colorless Eldrazi within the deck, and they all need a bunch of mana rocks to be able to escalate to the point where you can cast something like a 10 drop or a 12 drop or whatever. So it makes a lot of sense why all of those staples would be seeing play amongst all of those. And Ulamog is just one of the pinnacles of that. Well, if we want to talk about commanders that need a lot of mana rocks and stuff that accelerates them into it, let's talk about Mono White, because Mono White ramps so well, allegedly. <laughs> um, so the least unique Mono White commander is going to be Bruna the Fading Light. So Bruna is a legendary angel horror, 5-7 uh, for 5 white white. And Bruna reads, when you cast Bruna the Fading Light, you may return target angel or human creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Also has flying and vigilance. Not that that matters a whole lot. So, Mono White, Angel Tribal, Human Tribal, 167 decks out there, uniqueness score of a whopping one. Yep, just one. one. But hey, a commander that gets back angels in Mono White, angels being popular in Mono White, this is completely unprecedented. Never been heard of, never <laughs> ever. Except yeah, it's totally it been done all the time. 
yeah, it makes a lot of sense why that would show up there. But also, I think that Bruna does kind of play into one of the uh, probably one of the strengths that is a little bit more unique to white, and that would be blink spells. There are blink spells in some other colors, especially in blue. Uh, but this is something that white can make a bit more use out of, and so that's probably something that we see across a lot of the white decks that like to take control of enter the battle of uh, excuse me, take advantage of those enter the battlefield abilities. And that's something that Bruna can also do. But also just making the amazing Brizella out of the Bruna and Gisela combo seems like a whole lot of fun. So it isn't unique, but seeing a Brazella on the battlefield is pretty unique. So it would still be pretty exciting to see across the table, I think. I would also guess that, you know, even if you're splashing some humans into this deck, the humans you're running are probably ones that see a ton of play elsewhere, Mother of Runes or, or Grand, excuse me, Grand Abolisher, things along those lines. So um, it's just a deck that is kind of encouraging you to run cards that are already pretty popular. And that's just going to make it not unique. Yeah, indeed. Still a lot of fun, even if it isn't unique, though. All right, let's move on now to Mono Blue. What do we got here? Mono Blue, the least unique commander, is a Thada Adele Inquisitor. Uh, Thada Adele has Island Walk. It's a merfolk rogue, and whenever it deals combat damage to a player, search that player's library for an artifact card and exile it. And until end of turn, you may play that card. So Thought Adele, whenever I've seen it, has been a uh, commander built around taking everyone's soul rings. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or, or just basically any useful low-cost mana rock to cast. Um, it's not really pushing you in any particular direction. It's really very, very open-ended. And I think a little bit like we mentioned with, with Bruna and like we'll probably mention as we talk about further commanders, it's just encouraging you to run good cards. N- nothing weird or unique or niche or corner case at all. Um, so that's why we get a uniqueness rating of zero here. Yeah, if you are stealing all of the soul rings, which is really cool, by the way, that just yeah. means that you can get even closer to playing the really big classic blue spells. Uh, so it would make sense that they all consolidate into a Thada Adele deck. It doesn't necessarily need to be unique when it's just able to take all of the mana rocks from everyone else and maybe take some of their boots so that you can uh, make the really big blue plays that we all know and love. So that actually seems like a lot of fun, even if it isn't necessarily. Unique. I don't know if I'd use the term know and love necessarily. Know and acknowledge. <laughs> Matt, have you been um, expropriated very recently? Is I've that been what you're expropriated to say? too many times. I've also expropriated <laughs> quite a bit. So I, I love-hate relationship. Awesome. All right, let's move on now to Black. And here we've got a bit of a whopper. On Black, we have a six-way tie for least unique commanders that all have at least 100 decks here on the website, each with a uniqueness score of zero. I'll just read through them really quick. We've got Ayara, first of Lockthwain, who drains life from your opponents and can sacrifice your black creatures to draw a card. Also got Shieldred, Whispering One, who can revive your dead creatures and force other people to sacrifice theirs. Kalidus, Traitor of Get, which can make you some zombie tokens and exile other people's stuff from their graveyard if they were to die. Uh, Drana, Calastria, Blood Chief, Big Mana Drana, gotta love her. Erebos, God of the Dead, the original Theros. Uh, Erebos is going to let you draw cards and prevent your opponents from gaining any life back that you might be draining from them. And then finally, Raziketh, the Foul-Blooded who can sacrifice your creatures to tutor. Whole bunch of stuff going on here in Mono Black, and all six of these have a uniqueness score of zero. None of them are playing cards that are unique to other Mono Black decks. That's quite a lot going on here in Mono Black. Yeah, it's just a bunch of just generically black abilities on a legendary creature. It's not like they're pulling you in any super specific way because they're all things that black does in general anyways. Right. And I think that this is a good time to pause and reflect on like, you know, the generic or the good stuff or something. Those sometimes sound like derogatory words when we're talking about these, but these commanders are pretty cool. I've seen some really fun stuff happening with ARA, even if it is going to look a lot like some of the other stuff you might see elsewhere. Um, I 
think that Shieldred is also really kind of cool. A friend of mine had an Erebos uh, deck for a while that really, really crushed. So, you know, when we say generic or good stuff, that isn't necessarily a comment on their gameplay or even the person's originality who's wielding that deck. It's just that these are common cards, but that doesn't stop them from being powerful. And that doesn't stop the player who's piloting decks like that from having an original play style when they conduct those things. It's just that a lot of the black cards are so efficient that they seem to be appearing in a lot of these decks, which then sort of forces these commanders to all have the same uniqueness score. Yeah, I mean, it's just the opposite of specific. None of the cards we're going to be talking about here are ones that say, you know, regenerate target avatar or something that's going to, you know, require you to run specific creature types or, or do a real a real narrow focus thing. They're going to be cards that are just good and they're going to be good regardless of what you put in the deck. So when a, when a commander is good regardless of what you put in the deck, people then lean into just running generally good cards. Right, because, I mean, the, the, the black has a lot of them. Yeah, this is why sure. I love to play mono black because there are so many good cards. It's no wonder why all, we've got this uniqueness score of zero for all of these because there's really good stuff that you can do. It's see, you guys should play more mono black. Like Matt and you and your Slesnia business. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> all right, fine. Um, I uh, will it, talk about our next commander though, if that's all, all right. right with you. So uh, for mono red, we have Neheb Dreadhorde Champion. That is two red red for a five four legendary zombie minotaur warrior. Uh, has trample, but the important part is when Neheb Dreadhorde Champion deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker, you may discard any number of cards. If you do, draw that many cards and add that much red mana to your mana pool. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. So, likes to deal combat damage, like Mono Red does. Uh, 185 decks to Neheb's name. Total uniqueness score of a whopping 2, which is actually the highest that we've talked about so far. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that you finally reverted back to saying Neheb instead of Neheb because <laughs> I was having a bit of an aneurysm here. Oh, I'm going to say I'm going to say Neheb then. Just <laughs> why not? No. Uh, yeah, a pretty interesting one to see here. I mean, I actually kind of like the general strategy that you would see from a commander like this because it is um, a bit more cyclical or, or something like that there is kind of a this seems like a fresh take on red for me and yet none of the cards actually seem to be um necessarily unique to this particular iteration of neheb so i'm kind of curious what you guys make for make of this one i think this is probably the closest thing red has to like the thought adult or, or kind of card or the, or the black ones we mentioned where it's just a good commander no matter what you do um, mm. so many of the red commanders we can think of as being strong are ones that do focus you. You know, Peripheros wants you to run tokens. A lot of the goblin commanders obviously want you to run goblins. Um, this is really the the first strong red commander I think we've seen, or at least that I can think of, that isn't guiding you down a specific path. Right. I suppose even the uh, the other mono red Neheb is actually a bit more, hey, I want extra combats in a way that maybe this Neheb doesn't necessarily suggest. So that's actually a really good observation. It doesn't push you down any one particular um, niche strategy or powerful path um, that requires a more devoted strategy. So that actually does yeah, make Yeah, well, this Neheb also does a pretty good job of <laughs> doing extra combats, though. If you look at the top page, it is a lot of just very, very classic red abilities getting double strike, getting extra combat steps. That's probably why the uniqueness score is still fairly low and the you know the the least unique of all the mono red commanders because it is just being very classic red in in that. 
And that's actually another good point to make there. You know, if this is a Neheb that wants you to do extra combats, well, there's already another Neheb that does that. So the existence of both Nehebs actually collectively brings down their uniqueness score on the mono red page. Um, so that's actually also a really great observation to make there. And I think it applies to our next monocolor here. We're looking at green because here we actually have another tie between three different commanders when we start looking at green. Tied at a uniqueness score, once again, of zero, we've got Azuri, Renegade Leader, which is an elf tribal commander, Yeva, Nature's Herald, which gives all of your green creatures flash, and Multani, Yavamaya's Avatar, which is a whole bunch of landfall stuff, gets really big with all of the lands in play and in your graveyard. And in every single one of these cases, I think that you can make a, a case for exactly, uh, exactly the thing that you just mentioned there, about how there are other commanders that do similar things to these, and so they collectively bring each other down. Azuri Renegade Leader is not the only mono green elf tribal commander, for example, and Multani, Yavamaya's Avatar is also a pretty good example of a landfall commander, which is known in mono green. Yeah, this one is, is maybe the most surprising to see just because while they are suggesting things that are common in green, they're suggesting different things. Multani's kind of suggesting you do things about lands. Yeva kind of wants you to run big beaters. Azuri kind of is focusing you on elves. Um, it's kind of inter it's interesting that they all three have such a unique, such a low uniqueness score given they are pointing you in a particular direction and they are three different directions but all three of those those directions are still like very green effects sure i mean i can think of you know yeva playing big green creatures but what does it use to get to that point land of war elves elvish mystics so that ties it in with azuri whereas green it every green deck ramps pretty efficiently if you don't sure good yeah point. so they, they're all doing something specific but they all kind of tie in together because there's an over just a lot of overlap with just a, a generic green deck all right, well, those are the monocolors, but now we're on to the guild, the two color combinations, starting with Azorius. What do we got here when we start looking at least unique commanders among two color pairings? So the most, or I should say least unique Azorius commander is gonna be Azor the Lawbringer. That is two white, white, blue, blue for a six, six legendary Sphinx with flying. When Azor the Lawbringer enters the battlefield, each opponent can't cannot cast instant or sorcery spells during that next player's turn. And then also reads, when Azor attacks, you may pay X white blue blue. If you do, you gain X life and draw X cards. So a Sphinx's Revelation on a Sphinx having revelations. Uh, 258 decks for Azor. Total uniqueness score of a whopping four doubled our previous high. All righty there. Azor the Lawbringer is kind of an interesting one to see here. When I think of Azor, I do kind of think of maybe a Sphinx Tribal strategy, even though it doesn't necessarily indicate Sphinx Tribal. And now that I'm talking about Sphinx Tribal, Dana, I know that you actually have a Sphinx Tribal commander. Is this one that you've ever considered? Do you have any insight on why this one might be necessarily less unique than some of the other stuff that you're already doing in Azorius? Any insight you can offer? Um, I, you know, I could very easily replace Asperia with, with Azor, and, and it wouldn't really change much for the deck runs. Other than I think people might focus a little bit more on the fact that you have Sphinx's Rev in the command zone versus Asperia that nobody at all cares about. Um, so for me personally, like I like the fact that nobody cares about my commander versus them kind of side-eyeing it. And I would guess that's probably why Azor is, is uniqueness of four here, because if you just want to do something in these colors and the commander doesn't have to do the same thing. Like if you just want a commander like like the thought Adal we mentioned where you can do anything because stealing soul rings is good, 
you can do anything in these colors because Sphinx's Rev is good. It's just going to be a useful commander in the zone, regardless of what your strategy is going to be. So that's my guess why we're seeing this here. Right. When we look through other things in Azorius color combinations, you've got stuff like Brago, which clearly we're going to want to run a lot of stuff that benefits from blinking. Or you've got stuff like, hey, Grand Arbiter that you mentioned earlier uh, in the show, which is going to be very tax heavy and going to put a whole lot of uh, dampening effects on your opponents. And those are going to be a bit more specific than a Sphinx's Rev, which can draw you any of those cards. So if you draw cards, you just want to play all of the good cards that you would draw, like Azor will allow you to do. So it actually, in retrospect, makes a whole bunch of sense that this is what we're seeing as the least unique of those commanders because he's going to draw you the cards that are going to be the real good cards, not necessarily something that is unique compared to stuff that these color combinations are already necessarily doing. So in that case, let's move on from Azorius to Demir. Yeah, it's a two-way tie in Demir uh, at two commanders with a uniqueness score of one. We have Mirko Vosk, Mind Drinker. Uh, Mirko Vosk is a legendary creature vampire with flying, and whenever Mirko Vosk deals damage to a player, that player reveals cards from the top of his or her library until he or she reveals four lands, then puts those cards into the graveyard. And Lazav, Demir Mastermind, also from the same Return to Ravnica block, Hexproof Shapeshifter, whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you may have Lazav, Demir Mastermind, become a copy of that card, except it's still named Lazav, Demir Mastermind, and it has the same ability. So those are a little bit different, and they're not cards that you would see atop the same deck, maybe, but the strategy is maybe similar. They're both dealing with mill things, probably, where you're putting your opponent's cards in the graveyard. For different reasons, I would guess Murkovask is trying to win via mill damage, and Wazava is trying to mill people to get cool stuff to copy, but you're seeing a lot of overlap there, I would guess, in terms of cards that enable those strategies, and Demir tends to do mill stuff anyway. Scarab God does that. Um, I'm trying to think what's the 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 god from... Um, Phoenix. Phoenix does that. So like it, it, it's kind of the strategy that Demir kind of keys on anyway. So even though the cards are different, the, the fact that they're not unique at all doesn't really surprise me. Right. And that's what's kind of funny about these. These might be uh, not necessarily unique amongst the Demir color combination, but I think that Demir is pretty unique, uh, pretty unique amongst the regular color combinations because Mill is actually a lot more devoted to the Demir color combination than it would be for... I mean, you're not going to see a Selesnia Mill deck anytime right. soon. Although if someone could pull it... Yeah, if someone could pull it off, it would definitely probably be that. So... Uh, but yeah, so like the comparisons that we're making are about uniqueness compared to other things uh, within the color. But a mill deck, it's been a long time since I've seen a mill deck, to be perfectly honest. So that is actually still a unique strategy compared to the wider commander meta. Um, and that is definitely a thing that these commanders do very, very well. So even if they aren't necessarily quote unquote unique, that is still a unique strategy, um, even if it is well known among Demir. So our next color combination is going to be Rakdos, black and red. And our least unique commander here is going to be Caravec the Merciless. Caravec the Merciless is a 7-mana 5-4 human shaman, and whenever an opponent plays a spell, Caravec deals damage to target creature or player uh, equal to that spell's converted mana cost. Really, really crazy punishing here, and Caravec has a uniqueness score of 5. Yeah, I mean, red red and black decks typically can do some punishing effects. That's kind of what they kind of double down on, stuff like Wound Reflection or any kind of card like that, so it's not really surprising to see that's a very classic type of Rakdos commander. I mean, you have all the Rakdos commanders. They care about losing life. Caravec does that a lot too. So yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense why there'd be so much overlap between the average Caravec deck and the average 
just Rakdos colored deck in general. Yeah, um, it's it's again one of those commanders that's just re- re- rewarding you for running any card that's good for the most part. So not surprising. And also rewarding you whenever your opponents have the audacity to cast yes. spells. Yeah. How dare they? Uh, yeah, right. Ra- yeah, Rakdos is very classic in the Punisher world, so I'm pretty happy to see uh, Kervik here because, uh, like, I, I, I guess I'll, it'll be a pretty constant refrain to say that, you know, lack of uniqueness in this uh, particular field does not necessarily mean lack of power. Every time that I see a Kervik uh, hit the field, I'm just scared to cast anything, mm-hmm. and that is a really cool gameplay scenario to see. So even though Rakdos does typically see a whole lot of the Punisher abilities, like with other commanders such as Mogus, God of Slaughter, also going to be along you know, pretty similar lines here, um, it's still a line of play that makes me really happy just to be able to uh, acknowledge, even if it's miserable to encounter in the actual game. All right, let's move on to our next one. Gruul. We're looking at Ulash the Hate Seed, a legendary creature Hydra. Ulash comes into play with a plus one counter on it for each other red creature you control, and a plus one counter on it for each other green creature you control. And then you can spend a mana to remove a counter from Ulash and choose between dealing one damage to a creature or making a one-one sap rolling token. Um, th- this one I was kind of surprised at first when I saw it on there just because it's such a, it feels like it's one of the few commanders we have that are specific. In this case, it's probably requesting that you run Hydras, except for the fact that most of the Hydras are good and could just show up in any deck. Um, it's not like it's a really narrow niche tribe where you're just like, you know, Sphinxes, for example, I've got a Sphinx tribal deck. Once you get past those first like six or eight Sphinxes, things aren't that good. <laughs> so I'm running Sphinxes in that deck that just aren't showing up anywhere else. I'm going to guess that's probably not nearly as true with a Hydra deck. There's just so many strong Hydras that you can just run based on power index, and that's probably going to be the reason we're looking at a uniqueness of four here. Yeah, I was also very surprised to see this particular one. But looking through the other roster of Gruul Commanders, when we see things that in encourage a lot of mana, big mana stuff like Omnath or even Nikia, which really encourage you to have a whole lot of lands. Um, I, I think also maybe I had expected Xenagos to be near the bottom. Bec- yes. Because it's just big, classic Gruul, Stompy, play big creatures. Like every Gruul deck plays big creatures, right? But that's actually not necessarily the case because some of the big mana stuff is actually going to be going in a slightly different direction. Um, you also have other stuff, maybe like Rurik Thar is another very popular Gruul commander, which is a bit more along the lines of the stuff we just saw like with Karavek, where it's a bit more Punisher style. So with all that said, that does kind of make Ulash a little bit of the less unique compared to some of the, like not all of these Gruul commanders are necessarily doing the big Stompy things that we always associate with Gruul, which is pretty interesting uh, to see and it's kind of a cool revelation to have when we're just looking at the the least unique commander here it actually tells us a lot about what the other commanders are doing in this color combination too i I would bet we also see some some inclusion of things like hardened scales or doubling season here that are commonly played green cards in other you know red green whether they're plus one counter strategies or token strategies versus something like xenagos that really isn't suggesting you run something else that's commonly played so i think Xenagos, you might see some other big stompy creatures that just don't show up elsewhere, whereas here I think those slots might get filled with the plus one counter synergy cards that do show up in other decks. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not like we've never heard of a a green deck that plays doubling season, right? and that's just kind of a a typical (laughs) Ulash deck right there. So Plays awesome Hydras and doubling season seems like a thing. Yeah. There you go. All right, now we're moving on to Matt's very favorite color combination, Selesnia. The best color combination, I should point out. Uh, so, there there are 309 decks 
that means there's 309 people out there who enjoy very fine things. Uh, <laughs> Mary Weatherlight Duelist is our next commander that we're going to talk about. Uh, one green-white for a 3-2 legendary cat warrior with first strike. Whenever Mary Weatherlight Duelist attacks, each opponent can't block with more than one creature this combat. And as long as Mary Weatherlight Duelist is tapped, no more than one creature can attack you each combat. So we've talked about this several times before. The pre-con effect kicks Miri right in that kitty butt. Uh, uniqueness score of only one because there's just so much cat tribal synergy all over the place. Nazan, Arabo, all those commanders just kind of overlap and make Miri kind of blend in with the typical Selesnia deck. Even though they shouldn't necessarily, like we've mentioned the precon effect as it pertains to a card like Miri several times. So folks are already probably pretty familiar here. But, you know, I, I will submit, to be honest, that even if Miri wasn't a victim to the precon effect and cat tribal stuff wasn't currently populating her page, I think she'd still be a pretty non-unique Selesnya commander because this strategy is also very classic. You make a big wide field and then you stomp people with the big wide field of Selesnya stuff. Like, that sounds also pretty darn classic in terms of what Selesnya's MO usually is. Like I said, finer things. It's just okay. finer things in magic. In, in that, it does make sense that there's a better cat tribal commander in the color pair in, in the form of Arabo. So then what you get is people building a lot of overlap with the Arabo deck in this case, re removing uniqueness, and people just building kind of the generally good cards, removing uniqueness. I think where you would see... Um, a tribal commander not have any overlap as if they were the only thing in that color pair that was remotely suggesting you build that way. And as long as Arabo and to a lesser extent um, Nabon are around, or excuse me, what's the, the equipment? Nizan. Nizan are around. Um, there's just going to be a lot of shared cards between those those two decks. Yeah, very, very much. And Matt, I love that you're talking about how there are 309 Miri decks and there are 309 players who enjoy finer things, as though 200 of those deck lists don't actually belong to you. That That is true. <laughs> I, I'm putting up deck lists for other people who aren't as privileged <laughs> with their internet. I don't know. Uh, that bit went way off the rails, but whatever. <laughs> it did. Uh, let's move on now to our next color combination. That's Orzov, and here we have yet another tie. Though the uniqueness score is not zero for these commanders, the uniqueness score is actually three for both of these commanders. So they have three unique cards among their top 100s. These are Eile, Eternal Pilgrim, and Tesa, Envoy of Ghosts. Eile Eternal Pilgrim, as folks are probably pretty familiar, because she is pretty popular here among the Orzov. She can sacrifice your stuff to gain life and can also sacrifice stuff to exile permanence if you have enough life. And Tesa Envoy of Ghosts is a 7-mana uh, Tesa, who is a 4-4 with protection from creatures that also punishes any creature that attacks you by destroying it and then creating for you a 1-1 spirit token. So it is a pretty interesting set of uh, stuff that we're seeing here. Eile makes a lot of sense to me uh, to be among the non-unique um, stuff here because we already see a lot of uh, sacrifice and or life gain among the Orzov color combination. But Tesa does surprise me to be listed here because I actually think that her kit would make sense for a really nice, potentially even a Voltron strategy uh, because she's got that built-in protection from creatures that makes her impossible to block. So I actually would have expected her to be a lot more unique, but that's just not what we're seeing. I I'm surprised there's enough Tesa Envoy of Ghost decks just in existence for it to have a ranking in the first place. <laughs> That's right. You actually tried to build Tesa. I, I built Tesa Voltron with um, a bunch of different kind of equipment and swords and stuff. Um, so I, I, I'm just, that's why I'm surprised here. I just would not have thought that given the other two Tesas are significantly better, I'm kind of surprised that it's it's got 162 decks in the first place. 
Oh man, deck didn't work out for you. I'm, yeah, I'm more surprised. Like Tasa's showing up enough that it's beating out as well. I don't know if it's beating out considering we're talking about the least unique, but the other two versions of Tasa have more uniqueness than than Tasa Envoy of Ghosts. When they they at least seem a little very well. I shouldn't say generic again, but like classic Orzov colors. They're caring about death and and things dying. Same as Ailey. So yeah, I I don't know. It, it's surprising that it's this Tasa more than it is taste envoy of ghosts and yes joey um my seven drop commander that then i had to spend like four or six mana to equip stuff onto didn't work out that great <laughs> oh man at some point seven mana might right. as well be 14 right. mana right <laughs> man, i'm sorry to hear that well yeah pretty interesting revelation here among the orzov but we are running out of time to talk about all of these i think we actually got to start moving through them a little bit more quickly so let's move on right now to the is it so the is it we have niv mizzet Perrin. Uh, that is the blue, 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 red, red, red. So triple blue, triple red for a 5-5 legendary dragon wizard. Uh, Niv-Mizzet cannot be countered, has flying. Whenever you draw a card, Niv-Mizzet Perrin deals one damage to any target. And whenever a player casts an instant or a sorcery spell, you may draw a card. So typical is it spell slinging, maybe if you want to do some control elements, whatever. Uniqueness score of two out of 2,160 decks. Yeah, and it makes a ton of sense why the Niv-Mizzet and also Niv-Mizzets would appear so low on Uniqueness Score because all of them are eating into the same space where they're dealing damage, casting spells, drawing cards, dealing damage by drawing cards. Like, they're all within the same space, so it actually makes a lot of sense why they would be among the low Unique here. Yeah, I mean, it's just very classic. Is it colors? Do you want to cast a lot of spells? Niv-Mizzet does that. Whatever version of Niv-Mizzet, but just Perrin does that. And there's just so many decks out there. It can accidentally combo out with several different cards, too, so it's... If you want to cast a lot of spells, especially instants and sorceries, Niv-Mizzet Perrin is, is, is your Dargan. <laughs> Very good Dargan indeed. Uh, and speaking of classic stuff to do in the color combination, our next one is I mean, the actual best color combination. Matt says it's Selesnia, but really you it's You don't need Goldari. black in your decks, Joey. You, you need to figure this How out. How dare you? Uh, where else will I sacrifice my creatures? Uh, our next commander here, we are talking about Golgari. This is Azoni Thousand-Eyed, a six mana, two, three elf shaman with undergrowth, meaning that when she enters the battlefield, you create a one, one black and green insect creature token for each creature card in your graveyard. And Azoni can pay a black and a green mana and sacrifice a creature of yours uh, to gain one life and draw a card. This is exactly what we want to be doing in Golgari, folks. So it can be no mystery that Azoni shows up as the least unique uh, commander among the Golgari because that's what we like doing we have a lot of creatures that we sacrifice and then we take advantage of those with amazing stuff like a blood artist effect or a grave pact effect so Izoni's uniqueness score of two cards makes a whole lot of sense because that's what Golgari is totally famous for already yeah no real surprises there and there aren't a ton of surprises I don't think on the next card we have on the list either which is going to be Boros and Aurelia the war leader with a uniqueness of two uh, Aurelia is a 3-4 angel with flying, vigilance, and haste, and whenever Aurelia attacks for the first time each turn, untap all creatures you control, and there is an additional combat phase. So it's an angel doing combat stuff and caring about extra combat steps in Boros. So that's just what you're probably doing in those colors for the most part. <laughs> I, I think we've commented before, basically, until Feather came along, most of the Boros legends we've been getting were like worse versions of Aurelia. Yeah. There's just so much overlap in what she does and with what the vast majority of other Boros commanders are doing that that really isn't a shock at all. 
Yeah, a combat-oriented Boros commander is sort of the go-to joke among that now. Yeah. But I do, I gotta say, Aurelia is really, really cool. Like, yeah. if you are going to do the one thing, you should do it well, and Aurelia does it really, really, really well. Everything else has been a pale imitation of Aurelia for the most part. There, there are Boros commanders that I do enjoy. Akiri plus Bruce Tarl is one of my personal favorite partner color combinations in general to see a bit more of a uh, equipment-focused twist on that, for example. Um, but Aurelia being classic, I... Yeah can't disparage Boros too much for having some of those same lines of play when they are as powerful as Aurelia can actually be because he slaps some equipments onto Aurelia too with some extra like on hit damage effects such as Mask of Memory or any of the sort of X and Ys those are really really powerful when you get those effects and that's a lot of advantage too for sure all right, let's move on to our final two-color combination, the Simic. So this one, we're going to talk about, you know, getting all sorts of value. This one, this color combination never does that, especially through this commander, but Prime Speaker Zagana is the least unique commander. It's two green, green, blue, blue for a 1-1 one, one Merfolk Wizard. It's a great rate for a 1-1, one, one, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but Prime Speaker Zagana, the legendary Merfolk Wizard. Uh, when Prime Speaker Zagana enters the battlefield, put X plus one plus one counters on it, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. And when Prime Speaker Zagana enters the battlefield, draw cards equal to its power. So drawing cards, playing a lot of creatures, playing big creatures, totally unsimic. <laughs> yeah, when you were saying earlier, oh, Zimic doesn't get value, I could hear the sarcasm <laughs> dripping from that statement. That was actually disdain just for the, oops, ah, gotcha. I did all the good things. Yeah, I, a Simic commander that draws cards. Shocker! Um, That's almost like a Boros commander that focuses on combat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not much different than Azor being good because it's a Sphinx's Rev in the command zone. I mean, drawing cards from the command zone is going to be good no matter what deck it's at the top of. Yeah, that, that's probably why there's a uniqueness score of a whopping two for Prime Speaker Zagana. Just yes, <laughs> yeah, you do the same thing. You do have a bit of a push and pull between Prime Speaker Zagana and uh, Tishana, Voice of Thunder, um, where one of them is going tall, the other one is going wide. So there are some different uh, ways among Simic to organize the way that you are getting these types of value. Um, but in general, a lot of the stuff that you're going to see Simic doing tends to fall along this particular play pattern. So it can be absolutely no surprise that Zagana is going to. Uh, uh, show up doing exactly what Simic loves to do. I mean, we've also got plenty of other commanders that focus on strategies like this, such as Pierre and Toothy, also loves plus some counters, also draws you cards for them, that kind of deal. So it's very classic Simic indeed, very powerful too, but very classic along that line. So non-unique doesn't mean non-powerful, all of the same notes we've already hit. So, yeah, Simic is the only color combination where you can pay six mana for a 1-1 one, one, and it's actively good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, those were all of the guild colors and all of the mono colors. We have some three color combinations and of course the five color combination that we have to get to. But before we do that, we do want to do our favorite segment here on the show, and that is challenging the stats. There's so much data on EDH rack, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think the cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes we think that they're seeing too little play. So we like to talk about those cards here, challenging those stats. Matt, start us off this week. What do you got for challenge? So my challenge to stat this week is for Corvold, the Faker's King. He does all the things. If you haven't seen a Corvold, consider yourself lucky. Uh, whenever he enters the battlefield, sacrifice another permanent. Whenever you sacrifice permanent, you put a plus one plus a counter on him, you draw a card. So Corvold draws a lot of cards. Corvold gets a lot of value out of dang near anything you do because it's just accidentally just insanely powerful. What I'm going to challenge this week is going to be part of the mana base. So Cryptic Caves currently is showing up in 20% of Corvold decks out there. It's a pretty significant number, uh, plus 8% synergy. And Cryptic Caves reads, you can tap it to add a colorless mana to your mana pool, or you can pay one, tap it, and sacrifice it to draw a card, activate this ability only if you control five or more lands. So one thing, if you have ever read Corvold again, 
you you never have problems drawing cards. So Cryptic Caves kind of fills a slot that you don't really need help with doing, especially when you consider it's it's filling a, a land slot in a three-color deck and it only makes colorless mana, especially when you consider all the top cards, or all the top lands, I should say, in Corvold decks are colorless producing. You have Reliquary Tower, you have uh, Phyrexian Tower, which most of the time will make colorless mana. Field of the Dead, High Market, Strip Mine, the list goes on and on of all these non-colored mana-making lands, that, and you're just drawing cards anyway. So Cryptic Caves, you're already stressed in a three-color deck, unless you have just insanely good color fixing, but you don't really need any help drawing cards. Yes, Cryptic Caves effectively is two mana to draw two cards, which is great. That's a very good, very, very good rate, I should say, but that's not where you really need help in a Corval deck. If you are struggling to draw cards, Honestly, you probably did something wrong. You, you, you aren't playing Corvold, which is just all you have to do. Uh, so I'm going to challenge that Cryptic Caves should not be in near as many Corvold decks as, as it's showing up in, just because it's it's drawing you back on mana. You, color fixing is going to be at a premium, especially when you have to sacrifice lands to do that. I just don't think Cryptic Caves is what you want to be doing in Corvold decks. This is an effect that you can get from just an average Terramorphic Expanse or maybe one of the budget right. types of fetch lands. Uh, so I can actually see why it might be valuable to make sure that you are prioritizing uh, the colors that you need in a three-color deck, which can be a little bit difficult if you're running too many colorless lands. And he is, like you mentioned, not weak on this particular ability when so many of the lands can already fulfill a very similar uh, role as the Cryptic Exactly. And, and we've we've challenged several times throughout the history of this podcast saying Terramorphic Expanse and Evolving Wilds typically aren't great, but in Corvold decks where you're going to be drawing a card and fixing your mana, it's it's justifiable at least. I think those two cards are better than Cryptic Caves in a Corvold deck. Well, real quick, like the ways that we've said that maybe Terramorphic Expanse or Evolving Wilds aren't great tends to be in like a two-color deck. Here in a three-color deck, I always think that they're fantastic, especially when your commander can draw you cards for them, which just makes them even more appealing than some of the colorless options that you got. Anyway, I think we've lingered for a little bit too long. Dane has got a challenge that I know he's itching to get to. I do. I'm going to challenge the stats on a very, very popular card, Wayfarer's Bauble. It's in over 28,000 decks, which is 10% of the or almost 10% of the almost 300,000 we have in the database. Um, and, and it's an excellent card. It's it's sees play in a ton. It's been in a few pre-cons. It gets mentioned a ton on other content creator shows. I know Commander's Quarters uses it a lot in, in the decks uh, that he builds there. Um, and I'm not saying it shouldn't get ran. I'm just saying it probably shouldn't get ran in most green decks. I think if you're playing green, you have access to cards that do the same thing more efficiently. You've got, you know, Nature's Lore, Rampant Growth, uh, Farseek, Sakura Tribe Elder, Into the North, Search for Tomorrow. Um, there's ways to get that land into play for for less mana than the three Wayfarers Bobble takes. Maybe if you're playing Glyph of the Traitor where you can recur it, or Corvald where it's getting extra value because you want to sacrifice stuff. But if you're playing green, you probably don't need to be running Wayfarer's Bobble. Yeah, the stats on this one aren't necessarily like wrong for all of the non-green decks. In fact, I would say that it's probably too low among the non-green decks because it's a really good source of ramp. Right. But among the green decks, you're right, you've got a lot of options. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on now to my challenge, which speaking of green, I'm going to be talking about a green card. This is one of my favorite fogs in the format. It's Moments Peace. Two mana to prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn with a delightful flashback cost of two two and a green. So this is two fogs in one on one card. And 
I am shook at these numbers, y'all. It is only showing up in 719 decks. That is criminally low because the card Fog, the one mana version of this, which does not have a flashback, Fog is showing up in 2,560 decks. And it is just so much worth the, the extra one mana here on Moments Piece is totally worth it to get an additional cast on it from the graveyard. It's not a rattlesnake card necessarily, but when people see a Moments Piece in your graveyard, they know that attacking you is useless, so they just basically never do it. This is not even a necessarily very expensive card either. I'm seeing a price here of like maybe a dollar. Like it's just, oh goodness, it is so, so good. It's one of my absolute favorites and it definitely needs to say uh, way more play than just 719 decks. It should definitely see more play than the Fogs. Oh man, it's just such a good card. So a little underplayed here. Let's get those numbers up. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of those cards that I would guess doesn't see play just because People probably don't know it exists. It hasn't had a printing since Odyssey way back, you know, 20-ish years ago or so. So it's, <laughs> it's a card that, like, at some point is going to show up in some kind of a pre-con or get reprinted in some kind of a master set. And there's going to be people that are like, wait, what? This card exists? Yeah. Oh, goodness. It's it's so good. What a delightful yeah. moment when you cast this and when people see, oh, man, I can't attack him again. It's like a, oh, it, it, it's just so good. Numbers need to be way higher. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a rattlesnake version of a fog basically just sits there like they're going to see it in your graveyard and they either have to take care of it or they have to play around it and it it it, it is a pain in the butt to know they have a fog in their graveyard all right let's move back into our main topic we're looking through the three color combinations now starting with esper so our esper commander that we have is sharoom the hegemon so three in esper colors a white blue and a black for a five five legendary sphinx has flying and when sharoom the hegemon enters the battlefield you may return target artifact card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Never heard of an Esper commander caring about the artifacts or the graveyard ever. Uh, that's why there's a uniqueness score of 12 here. And hey, they are getting a lot bigger. As we actually add in more colors, we are seeing uh, more uniqueness here. But yeah, Esper really likes those uh, artifacts. Other things such as Sidri Galvanic Genius, for example, probably eats into a lot of the territory that we're seeing here on Sharoom. And there's also just less commanders, just period, in these three-color decks. So there's just less competition for these titles as well. Next, we have a Nickel Bolus the Ravenger for uh, four mana, the Grixis, and one flying. When Nickel Bolus Ravenger enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card, and you can spend seven mana to exile Nickel Bolus Ravager and return him to the battlefield under his owner's control, transformed into a Planeswalker. So this this one I was a little surprised to see on here, both because it's relatively new, and I just felt like you might see decks that are running... A lot of like Nicol Bolas theme cards maybe, but it just seems to be the default go-to in Grixis if you just want to run strong Grixis cards. I think, especially when you say they're like the Nicol Bolas theme cards, those are, they tend to be really good cards sure. that will actually show yeah, up among no, point. other Grixis decks. And on our last episode, I had taken a moment to mention um, among the Grixis commanders that a lot of them feel actually really, really unique to me. When you look through the limited pool of Grixis commanders, you've got some spell slinging like Kess, you've got some wheels stuff going on with Nikosar, then you've got some wizard tribal with Enala, uh, you've got pirate tribal stuff going on. Like there actually are a lot of very niche strategies among the whole list of Grixis. And I think Nicol Bolas is just the closest one that it comes to, to having a more general strategy that doesn't point you in any one particular devoted uh, direction. So so first, uh, all that I heard Dana say was Ravenger, not Ravager. <laughs> what? I, you're, you're probably right, I did. Neheb is back at it again, <laughs> I guess. Okay, the, the, Ravager is a real word. 
Neheb, I can't, okay. Neheb the Ravenger is uh, our winner of the unique Discord. Okay, let's just move on. I, I was using the Gaelic pronunciation. Oh, okay. Goodness gracious. Off the rails, way off the rails this episode. Well, to get us back on the rails then, Joey. I am trying. Our next color combination is Jund, and our least unique commander from the Jund color combination is, we mentioned him earlier, Corvold, Fey, Cursed King. Five mana, four, four, Dragon Noble, like Matt mentioned. Uh, flying when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you have to sacrifice something, but it is good to sacrifice things because Corvold will get bigger and draw you cards whenever you sacrifice stuff. It is a card advantage engine and a win condition in one. It is ridiculously deadly, and it has a uniqueness score of 10, because I think we all know by now what what Jund really likes to do, it really likes to sacrifice its stuff. We've got stuff like Prosh doing it. We've got stuff like Vevictus that enjoys sacrificing, destroying stuff. The Shattergang brothers also have similar lines of play. And even going one step further than that, I think another reason that Corvold is going to be showing up um, as our least unique Jund commander is because one of the easiest things that you can sacrifice for Corvold's ability tends to be your lands. There are a lot of ways to sacrifice your lands that can then draw you a bunch of cards and get Corvold really powerful. And Jund landfall is something that we've got with Lord Windgrace. So that's another reason why these numbers might be uh, sort of eating into each other and making Corvold go lower and lower among that ladder, even though he's one of the most obnoxiously efficient commanders I've seen in many, many years. Well, and with all due respect to, to the great Reed Duke, I mean, there's a reason there's the phrase that just says jund them out like you just get value from literally everything you do you're you're more efficient <laughs> than your opponents and corvold it, it corvold is all of that as soon as he comes to the battlefield he replaces himself in your hand even when you don't cast him from your hand like it, it's just crazy how much value you get just accidentally from just oh yeah this thing was strong enough to show the up in cards standard and you draw a card that's how <laughs> right. much value you get from corvold it's really, really good. But yeah, that would uh, definitely make sense. A lot of those strategies are very familiar to Jund, so it is showing up here as our least unique, but definitely one of the more powerful commanders out there. Let's move on now to Naya. So our Naya commander here is going to be Zakama Primal Calamity. That is six and Naya colors, so a red, a green, and a white for a 9-9 legendary elder dinosaur. Vigilance reach and trample. When Zakama Primal Calamity enters the battlefield, if you cast it, untap all lands you control. Then you can also pay a one or two and a red, excuse me. Uh, Zakama deals three damage to target creature. Pay two and a green, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Or you can pay two and a white to gain three life. Uh, lots of abilities going on there, a lot of text. Uh, 923 decks for Zakama with a uniqueness score of six. I, I am, this is actually the most surprising of all the commanders that we are talking about on this episode. This one shocks me to see as the least unique commander because this isn't like a, a value town or a big stompy stuff that I would traditionally associate with the Naya colors. This is a storm deck. You are playing Zakama with some type of mana doubler, uh, tends to be. Zakama can untap all your lands and if you can return Zakama to your hand and then cast it again, you'll do that once more. Doubling your mana every time to get a bunch of mana for Zakama to use these abilities go completely haywire. This is a very unique line of play that I don't see among any of the other cast of uh, Naya commanders, and yet it is showing up as our least unique by comparing the cards in the deck uh, of all of the Naya commanders. I'm just totally floored here. Well, people kind of knew exactly what to do with Zakama as soon as it came out. There's uh, Nyx Bloom Ancient, which is one of the new cards from Theros Beyond Death, uh, triples your mana whenever you tap you know, anything for, for mana. Um, yeah, it's at 56% synergy, which is an insane number for something that just came out. It's only second right behind Zendikar Resurgence. So you're exactly right, Joey. You're doubling mana. You're bouncing it back to your hand with stuff like Team or Sabertooth, which is just a very good green card in general. So yeah, you hit it, you hit it on the head. You're just making oodles and oodles of mana and then comboing people out. 
Yeah, and, and I'm just surprised. I agree. I'm kind of surprised because I don't know what other commanders in these colors are running things like, you know, Mana Flare. Um, but clearly they are because this is just, that's a pretty low, unique score. And there's just a lot of overlap. But I agree. I was not expecting. I, I guess, though, like the mana doublers are also going to be, you know, Marari's Wake, for example. Sure. I guess I can't actually think of a Naya deck that isn't going to benefit from playing that or Zendikar Resurgent, actually. Like, that also kind of does what Naya tends to do. So maybe it is the case that a lot of those particular uh, cards will sort of float around other Naya strategies, even if this particular play pattern uh, uses them a little bit more uniquely. They are cards that are good enough to show up elsewhere, too. That's my best guess on it. Man, it's such a, a crazy thing to see. I I guess uh, I'm, I'm just still, yeah, I'm just still floored. Zakama is a totally crazy uh, card. And even if, I, I guess that's a lesson that we really should take away. Sometimes the component parts will look the same as the stuff that other things are doing, but you can still use them in new and interesting ways with your commander. So that's a good lesson to take away here, I think. All right. Up next is the band commander, Tuvasa the Sunlit. Uh, Tuvasa the Sunlight gets plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control. And whenever you cast your first enchantment spell each turn, draw a card. So Tuvasa was in the 2018 pre-con, and that was probably the most cohesive pre-con, I would say, where all three commanders were very much enchantress or enchantment-oriented. I think the difference here is you had the other two commanders that kind of pushed you in a little bit different direction with enchantments, whether it was to be, you know, there's kind of a stacks version of of the Planeswalker Commander and a Bestow version of the Bestow Commander that are probably running cards that you don't see in Tuvasa, whereas I would guess most of the Tuvasa cards also show up in those two decks, as well as anyone who is, you know, building some other variant of Bent Enchantress over the years, whether it would be Rubinia or I've seen um, Rafik Enchantress decks before. So it's just probably the the version of that enchantment deck that's running the most cards that you see in every other Bant Enchantment deck. Yeah, I, I love also what you said there about the pre-cons. Like, there was a bit of disparate strategies going on, especially in the other decks from that year. You know, even the Sahili deck, the uh, Blue-Red Artifacts, you had a commander like Brutaclad, which was a lot more about tokens than it was about artifacts. Or in Lord Windgrace, yeah, you had Lord Windgrace, who was doing some suggestion of the landfall stuff, but then you also had, like, Phantas and Gyrus, which was having people attack and also bringing tokens back by eating your dead creatures. Like completely different strategy. So yeah, the cohesion there definitely eats into Tavasa's numbers. I really like this particular uh, Bant Chantress the most. Um, but yeah, uniqueness score of seven on Tuvasa. I, you can't color me surprised about that one because of exactly the thing that you said there, but how it is playing a lot of the same cards that those other slightly more unique uh, commanders are also already playing. All right, we're going to move on now to Obzon. Our least unique Obzon commander here is not a commander that I am personally a fan of seeing because it is Anavenza the Foremost, a three mana, four, four human soldier. Whenever Anavenza attacks, you put a plus one counter on another target tapped creature you control. And if a creature would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you exile it instead. Yeah. Love it. Great, great. Love that. Uniqueness score of 13. Great. Anafanza. Okay, so we're done talking about No, her. we're not. <laughs> it's such a you no, it's 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 just such a useful ability doing things, you know. Gave Guru Spores. Plus one plus one counters. Anafenza fits into that. If you want hate bears, Anafenza fits into that. It's so good. Joey, finer things, man. Finer things. <sighs> Well, so you just pointed out two excellent observations there. Yeah, the plus one counters is definitely eaten up by other uh, other commanders in that territory for these uh, colors already. And the hate bear strategy is very common among these colors too. Uh, so yeah, and offensive slots right into both of those sort of pre-established uh, 
you know, type of decks that you might be looking for in these colors. So it does make a whole lot of sense why she would show up here uh, as the least unique among them. Um, and I also hope that I never see her across the table from me <laughs> ever. I'm, I'm bringing one to the next time we get together. I'm no, doing. please don't. Commit no. Uh, so no, what, we got to move on. Let's, let's move on to our next one. We'll move on to a commander I will here. never bring to any event because uh, it's Jess Guy and just why. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Elsha the Infinite is our Jess Guy representative on this list. Uh, two in Jess Guy colors. It's a blue, a red, and a white for a 3-3 legendary Jin Monk with prowess. You may look at the top card of your library at any time, and you may cast the top card of your library if it's a non-creature, non-land card, and you may cast it as though it had flash. So it's just doing some very classic Jeskai things. It's speeding everything up, casting an instant speed, casting non-creatures. 1,311 decks, so quite a few out there with a uniqueness score of only 16. Yeah, that uh, that prowess is very common. It's the kind of thing that we like to see among all of the Jeskai stuff. I love your thinly veiled sarcastic hate for the Jeskai, <laughs> by the way. I So I had a Kaikar deck, so I, I, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, I get it. Um, but no, it's just, it, it's very easy. I mean, obviously you have the, uh, Sensei's Divining Top combo. You can do that with Elsha. There's a lot of spell slinging stuff out there in Jeskai colors. Uh, Kaikar wins Fury especially. So yeah, it makes sense why there's so much overlap because you're, you're just casting a lot of instants and sorceries, casting just a lot of just non-creatures, it says right on the card. Um, it's just very classic Jeskai. And I, and I know we keep saying that it's, it's classic. Kaikar, Shu Yun does a similar thing. Shu Yun does the exact same yep. thing too. Yeah, it's... The, all, all these decks, they just tend to do kind of just generic, blatantly that color combination types of strategies. Well, so here's a quick observation that we can make uh, about these, though. Like, we keep saying classic necessarily, but one of the things that I'm finding most enlightening about this particular exi uh, exercise, looking at the least unique commanders, is to get to the heart of what those color combinations are about. And Elsha totally does that. It totally announces, here's very much what Jeskai wants you to do. This is something that is very, very strong at doing. So saying that it isn't unique unique compared to the other Jeskai commanders um, is just sort of announcing, here's what Jeskai really, really likes to do. And there are actually several different ways that you can do that, even if they do tend to eat into the same group of cards. Um, that, that's just kind of a, a cool thing to see, I think, actually. I don't particularly enjoy necessarily the uh, the play style of Jeskai because it doesn't let me sacrifice any of my creatures. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't really know how to work around that. But a commander like Jeskai or like Shu Yun or like Kaikar, they're all announcing so clearly to me what these colors like doing that it's nice. It's actually easy for me if I ever did want to play Jeskai. These commanders are such huge signposts that it tells me exactly what I would like to be doing um, and which pools of cards to be paying attention to. So sometimes a lack of uniqueness here is actually going to be very beneficial for folks to be able to start into that color combination and then find the more unique things afterward. So Joey, I, I do need to say Kaikar does have Sacrifice a Spirit there on the go, card yeah. text. Sacrifice of Creatures. Yeah, it's just such a weird double standard among the Jeskai versus the Golgari. Like if the Golgari sacrifices something, it's supposed to be heartless and mean of them. But if the Jeskai sacrifice something, then it's like, ooh, our inner soul fire. Like, I don't get that. They're such hypocrites. This is why I can't do a Jeskai. Uh, Let's just Golgari move on. Then. Let's get let's get let's get on to Soltai. Let's look at the uh, Soltai yeah. um, least unique commander here. We have Damia, Sage of Stone, a, a Gorgon wizard with Death Touch, who forces you to skip your draw step. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have fewer than seven cards in hand, draw cards equal to the difference. So I, I would guess here we have a similar phenomenon to what we see with Azor in Azorius or with Prime Speaker Zagana, where it's just a value card in the commands on that draws you cards that's going to be good 
atop a deck filled with good cards, basically. Um, you know, I've probably played half a dozen different Damia decks over the years, and every single one has been described by the brewer as either good stuff or like a toolbox deck. It's kind of the commander you pick in Sultai if you just want to run really good Sultai cards. But at the same time, this is another lesson that we can kind of take away by looking at these is that these are commanders that you get to choose the direction they go. They don't specifically name a place for you to go. So I think it was our friends at um, the CCO podcast who were talking about a rat colony Damia Sage of Stone deck because they're very easy to play. So that empties your hand really quickly. So then Damia can refill it to get even more rats. Or another popular thing that I've seen for Damia would be Sultai Landfall because if you get extra land to fall abilities uh, such as exploration lets you play extra lands or azusa lets you play extra lands that's another really easy way to you know dump out your entire hand for damia to then refill it that leans into her strengths um, so there are some multiple ways that you can go to a commander that is quote-unquote non-unique because it leaves the door open for you a bit more widely than some of the other more niche commanders will do so that's uh, kind of a lesson that you can take to make commanders unique if you want them to be right that's kind of the important distinction here just because a commander isn't unique doesn't mean it isn't different you could technically have, you know, a dozen different Damia decks that all look different from one another, but they're probably still running cards that you see in other Sultite decks. Right, exactly. All right, we're going to move now into Mardu. Our least unique Mardu commander is Queen Marchesa. She is a four mana human assassin, 3-3 with death touch and haste. When she enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if an opponent is the monarch, she will make you a 1-1 black assassin creature token with death touch and haste to help you steal that crown back. She actually has our highest least uniqueness score, if that makes any sense. The highest of the numbers we talked about so far, her uniqueness score is 23. So there are 23 cards among her top 100 that uh, are not showing up among the other Mardu commanders. Um, Marchesa actually makes a lot of sense to be here among the uh, the Mardu as the least unique because one of the most political things that you can do, and Marchesa definitely likes those politics, she wants to be very defensive, she's going to be full of removal spells so that she can make deals with people by removing certain threats to help out other players. So it actually makes a lot of sense why her with that defensive play style would totally be the least unique because a lot of the Mardu commanders are already playing those removal spells too. Um, but her getting the highest of the least uniqueness score, that's a pretty interesting point there. I wonder what you guys kind of make from that. I'm not really sure. Um, the the problem because I Queen Marchesa is a really really cool card, and I've multiple times over the years sat down and tried to figure out what I wanted to do with it, and I could never really try to figure out how to make it, other than kind of just run good Mardu cards. Um, mm -hmm. So at least to me, it makes sense to see it there because when it came time to brew this deck, I just wanted to run popular Mardu cards. I think that's kind of where I fall too. It's it's. Because like Zergo Helm Smasher, for example, has, you know, it's a very obvious Voltron strategy, whereas mm -hmm. Marchesa doesn't really direct you towards anything. It's kind of like uh, Damia that we just talked about. There's nothing specific about her. So you just kind of resort to running some more just, oh, well, this is good in these colors. This is good in these colors. And that's kind of the deck that, you, you know, people tend to end up with as the numbers would indicate towards. I would have to assume that part of her unique non-uniqueness if that makes any sense uh actually comes from the fact that she encourages such a defensive uh strategy that a lot of the other mardu commanders don't necessarily like to see you've got stuff like edgar markov or kalia of the vast or the zergo that you just mentioned a lot of the mardu stuff tends to be a lot more aggressive than marchesa so i wonder if that's what makes her even more unique even while she is least unique based on the uh cards that you usually see so her strategy is actually still kind of unfamiliar to the typical mardu stuff because mardu doesn't tend to be all that defensive it's 
it's a very interesting thing there when you uh, are measuring there based off of the pool that she's drawing from, which tends to be a lot of removal spells to enhance that defensive strategy, but that still does make her kind of an interesting uh, separation from the other Mardu strategies that we would typically see, which are a lot more aggressive. All right, let's move on to our final three color combination, Teamer. So our Teamer representative here is Surek Dragonclaw. So he's two green, blue, and a red for a 6-6 legendary human warrior with flash. Surak Dragonclaw cannot be countered uh, creatures you control cannot be countered as well, and other creatures you control have trample. So it's a pretty straightforward strategy. You play some big, dumb, green-red stuff, maybe blue for some card draw, and just go to town. Why not? <laughs> yeah, there, there's nothing focusing you down a certain path here, so it makes sense that it's the least unique of the teamer commanders for sure. Especially because so many of the other uh, teamer commanders do tend to have more dedicated strategies. Omnath has landfall. Maelstrom Wanderer is going to hit you with the, all of the stuff uh, with a lot more alacrity and also therefore demanding a lot more mana ramp to get you to that point. Animar is a morph commander that also likes big creatures and can potentially be competitive. Uh, Yasova steals stuff from people. Like there is a lot of unique stuff actually happening in teamer that Surak doesn't necessarily uh, lean into as much. So that's why he becomes our candidate here. Alrighty, we are moving into our final commander here because we actually have to skip past all of the four color commanders. Like Matt mentioned at the top of the show, we were not able to use this algorithm on any of the uh, partner commanders because having two commanders just completely messed up that algorithm. Uh, so all of the naturally four color commanders, of which there is only one per color combination, you've got stuff like Atraxa and Kaneos and Tiro, they are the uh, winners of last week's show where they are the most unique, but also on this show, they are the winners of the least unique. So congratulations to Atraxa <laughs> and all of them. You are the least and most unique commanders of your color combinations. Uh, so that just leaves us with five color. What is our least unique five color rainbow commander? Our least unique five color commander is the first sliver, 675 decks, uniqueness rating of zero. Back to that zero, nice to see. Back you. to zero. Um, this one makes sense, though. First of all, you're looking at Sliver Tribal, so you have a lot of overlap with the other Sliver Tribal commanders there as well. And this is a fairly popular food chain commander um, in the more competitive circles, where it probably has a lot of overlap with those cards with Niv-Mizzet Reborn. Um, and I think Kenrith might get played at the food chain as well, though I'm not positive about that. But So you have two different areas where it's going to overlap with existing five-color deck archetypes. That's probably what pushes this ahead or behind, I guess, in terms of uniqueness of the other five-color options. Yeah, and that's what's so kind of interesting, though. And for my money, the first sliver is actually my favorite of all of the sliver commanders because that thing has some darn alacrity. It is so dang quick. It fills the board in such a classic sliver way, um, but it still is maybe a bit overshadowed by the pre-existing tons of sliver commanders already. So I think that's an interesting point to take home about the uniqueness of a commander. Sometimes, even if it is something we've seen before, it can still be a more powerful or more interesting or still bring a bit of a twist to the pre established strategy. And I think that's something to note about the first sliver here, um, which is just kind of fun to, uh, to to notice there, I think, about this sliver. Uh, now that I'm actually talking about it, I'm thinking that maybe I don't want to see the slivers across the table from me anytime soon. <laughs> uh, so as we wrap up this show, I just kind of want to leave off with some of the observations because we've used a lot of the same buzzwords uh, here as we talked about, like generic or good stuff or classic or stuff like that. And a lot of this list, you know, includes commanders that don't necessarily give you any specific direction. Um, it's a lot of the same cast of uh, commanders, actually, that we saw on our high and low variance episode, episode 99. Um, 
But even then, there are some linear strategies that have multiple commanders, like we mentioned uh, about Tuvasa, where there are other uh, Bant Chantress commanders that are running those same cards, or the first Sliver, like we just talked about, um, which already has so many other Sliver competitors. But those are still really cool strategies, even if they are something that we are familiar with. Um, and I just want to reanimate that uh, reanimate? I think I meant to say reiterate, but I'm such a necromancer that I accidentally said reanimate. I want to reiterate uh, that uniqueness is not necessarily a testament to a commander's quality. Uh, these commanders may have a lot in common with other commanders of the same colors, but that doesn't make them bad, and it doesn't make the pilot unoriginal uh, for playing them. And frankly, a lot of the lines of play that are made available by these non-unique commanders are... They, they actually can be really unique, like we talked about with Dami, or like we talked about with Zakama. Zakama is a Naya Storm commander. That actually is really cool uh, when you see that. So, I mean, I can't think of another Naya commander that's doing that. So there's just, there's always something else to dig into beyond this data here. There's always something else that the numbers aren't quite telling us. So it was a lot of fun to go on this journey and to look through these non-unique commanders and uh, to take that type of message home with us and to see what that means for how we want to pilot those decks, to use these as signposts like we were talking about earlier, or if that encourages us to find a new unique way to play these commanders, even if they tend to use a lot of the same uh, cast of cards that we see among other commanders of that type. But I think I've been pontificating about that for too long now so what i'm going to do is just go ahead and wrap up the show thanks so much for joining me you guys this was a ton of fun and if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us where can they find you all so you can find me on twitter at mathemus 55 same thing uh, mathemus 55 on twitch for my stream and dana how about you can find me on the twitter birds at dana roach and you can hear me on my other podcast cmdr central and I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can find the cast at EDHRackCast on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you have a question, a keen insight to EDHRack's data, or maybe a challenge to stats pick that you think that we should know about, you can find us at EDHRackCast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh LeQuay and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling our post-production, uh, making the podcast look as good as it possibly can be. And our thanks as well to EDHRack sponsors, TCG Player, and Card Kingdom. If you're interested in picking up any of the cards that we've talked about, you can visit either Card kingdom.com slash edhrec or you can use the links uh the card links that they provide on our website just click right on those and they will take you right to their storefront if you want to get any of these cards to help ride out everything that everyone is going through right now thank you everyone to our sponsors thank you everyone uh our listeners here we will be back at you next week with more data and more insights but until then remember to edhrec your deck before you wreck your deck and to stay safe out there everybody take care wash your hands